Welcome to another episode of That's of a The podcast about egoistic altruism, magic, and radical ambition. Radically empathetic ambition. <laughs> so sorry that I missed last week. I was super busy designing and stuff. Uh, take, taking this Flatiron UX course on uh, design and it's crazy, super packed with a bunch of information and, and assignments and all this stuff. I had to make a wireframe and the prototype and all that and it was just it was just crazy. So um, I didn't really have time to podcast but I'm back this week. I wasn't even going to podcast today to be honest because I'm still like really busy but shoot man, my girl really kind of inspired me, motivated me to talk about uh, this whole problem or idea concept of uh, regulating social media and all these other companies, all these other tech companies that are using our data and, <laughs> sorry for the pause, but yeah, it's very, it's, a, it's, it's definitely a huge problem, right? We all know the problem, like people, is Google, or we, we all know a part of the problem. Google, Facebook, even Apple, Amazon, you know, these big tech companies, they have a lot of power and they have a lot of say on how our data is used, what data is, is collected, you know, and, um, and that kind of translates a lot into our political kind of uh, discourse, our everyday kind of living of uh, what products get sold to us, what, even what products get made. Um, because they're so big, they kind of control the marketplace. And so all of these different, you know, problems stem from, you know, that, that their ability to kind of, um, basically hog all this data and, uh, grab all this data from us. And so, of course, the government and a lot of people want to regulate these companies, right? And me as an anarchist or as a person that doesn't really trust government, um, and, you know, just looking at history, uh, government regulation is almost never the answer, at least not like by ignorant people. <laughs> and unfortunately, a lot of our government is really ignorant of how tech works, of how software works, of how, you know, the impact of lazy regulation would do to our future. Right. Um, a good example, a freaking uh, wonderful example of this is the same basic basic kind of idea in the last decade or the last you know two or three decades with the telecom industry right we had AT&T we had um i think Comcast or whatever their parent company um we had a few companies that were the big telecom monopolies right they they owned all the the uh, landlines they owned all the telephone um lines controlling you know, how people spoke, how people can call each other. They owned all these lines, all right? And so when we started coming up with the uh, internet, um, when that was getting big, they, I'm not going to walk through the whole thing, but basically, you know, um, the government tried to regulate, you know, how, how, how they can uh, control, you know, who, who gets access to, to the internet and to the telecoms and stuff like that, right? And basically... It didn't end well <laughs> because, as you see now, today, we have some of the worst in the U.S., we have some of the worst Internet and uh, phone service in the developed world. 
<laughs> and that's simply because these companies got so lazy to this regulation. Basically, regulation said that you have to, it, it sounded good, it says you have to, um, um, if you apply, if you give data to some, like, uh, I'm saying it wrong, but basically, like, they had to um, supply the pipelines to as many people as possible, right? Everybody gets equal access to the 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 ability to call people to use internet and stuff like that so if you're offering internet in an area everybody in that area has to have that internet you can't have you know uh some people who can pay for higher faster internet basically this whole net neutrality even before you know today um the problem is that it sounds good but what that really meant was that um on one side new competition could not exist could not come up because when they when when a person when somebody's trying to make you know their own internet pipelines and all that stuff they won't be able to give the same internet access to everybody <laughs> in an area they have to you know they have to have preferential treatment and a lot of times with these with these uh kind of higher end services these services that are very um expensive to roll out like internet like you have to create massive infrastructure you have to dig holes in the ground and pay for permits and and um freaking you know route the the lines through from from the main areas of where you're getting the internet all the way to the last mile to their individual houses it's just extremely expensive to to do that and as with any expensive thing you often offer it to the the top down and then trickles down to other folks now generally i don't really subscribe to trickle down economics and everything but in terms of you know being able to roll out these types of new products, um, especially for private organizations, I definitely think that's a very valid strategy. That's how Uber got so big. You know, they didn't offer Uber to everyone first. <laughs> it was luxurious first. It was you know um, these these uh, Uber blacks. You know <laughs> these uh, celebrities and all these um, kind of you know, people had money. They paid to have people drive them around you know this was a service they were used to because they already had you know like uh chaperone i don't know what the hell you call them but you know people that drive them around they already had that service they were familiar with it regular people weren't familiar with that regular people weren't gonna you know just drive around some other random person that wasn't in our <laughs> in our thought process it had to be introduced to us piece by piece and the the cost had to go down you know for people to um really start doing it but that is how it got so big, you know, trickle down economics. Same thing for the uh, for the Internet in general. Right. The people who use the Internet at first weren't the regular everyday people. <laughs> there were people in, in universities doing research and government, you know, and at work. You know, they're doing all these other places. They use Internet. They use these little computers, you know, for for specific tasks, for their jobs, for this, that and the other before it was in everybody's homes. Right. So whenever you're offering these rolling out these different um, economics and stuff like that, it often trickles down. And so when the government tried to regulate that for um, providing Internet and phone service, not only did they error in that by bundling the Internet with the phone service, they're saying you can't offer one without the other or or saying that they're the same thing. So you have to, you know, account for both when you're when you're lining these pipelines, which is ridiculous. <laughs> that's why you know when they started selling phone service um and internet service and stuff like that we couldn't it will be it, that's why it was impossible to get an internet service without having to buy cable 
without <laughs> you couldn't get a phone that just had internet service and not and not like talk text and all this other stuff they was trying to sell you on the talking text when all you wanted was the internet that is why because that's those dumb regulations and and the um the companies of course they were going to say oh yeah we're going to bundle that all together because they knew the higher cost was with the internet and they knew that they they had in order to subsidize their internet costs to to build out the internet they had to make people pay for all these other things they didn't really want and so of course these companies took that deal and it was uh, what's also messed up is that as a part of that deal the government would subsidize those companies to build out more internet they said oh we'll give you extra amount of innovation money to <laughs> to build out the internet and guess what they did nothing they took that money <laughs> and ran <laughs> and so we still have bad internet so that is like one example of of um one powerful example of why you don't really just just throw out regulation like it's going to solve our problems it, it it can very easily make problems worse and you can find tons of these you know examples throughout uh, history you know another great example is in the medical industry but i'm not going to get into all this because that's not what <laughs> this is about um the issue is that when you're regulating these when when these governments um, our centers, whatever they're thinking about regulating these uh, um, these social media companies, people who have all this data, they have to be very, very aware of how technology works. Because for one, the software world is very different than the <laughs> and the the real world, the atoms and bits world. You know, when you're <laughs> regulating software, you have to be careful what you're actually regulating. Right. You can't regulate like a line of code or something. <laughs> you know, these things can be like replicated. These things can be easily just made a different way or, you know, whatever. You have to think about, you know, how how you're what what result you want and how to get there in a way that's not going to backfire. And I fear that that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to backfire terribly. Like, look, just look at the um, government regulations in Europe. Or with the GDPR or whatever, it sounds good, like, oh, yeah, but we're protecting your data, making sure everything's private and all this stuff. But what that ends up looking like for an everyday person is that they're not allowed to use memes <laughs> because it's a copy of somebody else's work and they can't apply it. They can't give them, you know, the correct recognition. And so in their in their uh, regulations, it says you, ha you can't just take other people's work, you know, but the Internet, it kind of works like that. That's how the Internet works. You just reshare stuff you just you know you're going through instagram facebook twitter whatever and you're seeing a bunch of memes you see this that and the other you just repost it again you know if you want to um, make your own meme you just take some some random image you found on the internet fix it up and put it out again and that's how the internet flows that's why it's so freaking it's like the wild west but in a good way usually i mean don't get me wrong there's definitely a lot of bad things about that process but for the most part it allows people to have more creativity, more freedom, more communication. And regulating that sort of thing in that way just limits that inherent value. So, yeah, um, those, those, those regulations I don't think will, will pan out very I'm very worried that they won't pan out very well. You know, in my opinion, what we should do is think about how we can increase competition, how we can 
help the market, you know, be more competitive rather than try to control the market. You know, the marketplace of data is very monopolized right now because you have these huge companies that have been able to create like a massive pipeline of, of data gathering and consumption and selling that data. Um, and the worst part about it is, is, for one, is the lack of communication. Is that there is no clear idea of what data is being taken. Like when you're on Facebook, on Instagram, on all these different things, there's no clear idea of what you're, when you're Googling something, you know, there's no clear idea of how they're taking your data, what data they're taking, why they're using it, and the value it has to advertisers and to other people, you know. And so what you end up doing is you are becoming like a lot of people use this, especially nowadays with Andrew Yang and all that, you become like a data mine. You literally are a mine, an oil mine, right? Where they're just tapping into you, just chiseling into you, taking all that data, and you're not even aware of this. <laughs> Can you imagine somebody is in your backyard and just mining for oil for <laughs> and it's just extracting out of all that value out of your own backyard and you're not even aware of what they're doing? You don't see them back there or even if you do see them you don't you don't think they're they're in the, in the wrong place. You think, "Oh yeah, they always there. It's it's all right." <laughs> no, that's ridiculous. <laughs> so that's what they're doing in our freaking brains, you know? We're, we're, we're scrolling through these different um, feeds and all this stuff, this, and, and we're just letting that data flow out of us without any, any awareness of the value of that data. And I'm not a Luddite, not at all. I freaking love technology. I love that we can have this fluid um, communication style you know, with the world. And I love that we can have access to all these amazing technologies and tools and software for free. But the problem is that it's not for free. You know, like they say, nothing is free in the world. And as much as I would like that to not be true, as much as I would like everything to be free, because me personally, <laughs> I don't really care about money. I'm not a money person. This is called thoughts of a trillionaire, not because I actually want to be like super rich and all this stuff, but because I feel like the best way to become wealthy is simply to help other people be wealthy too. Like, I feel like the, the only way you become a trillionaire is if you really and truly help the world, you know, become like super amazing. Like that, I think that's the only way to, so it's kind of like a more, you know, of a goal type of thing. But anyways, the point is that I like that we can have free access to Facebook and meet anywhere, see anybody in, across the world. It's amazing that we can go on YouTube and have free access to the world, like the most education, the most facts, the most content ever in the history of, of society, in the history of humanity. We have access to all of that for free on the internet with Google, Facebook, YouTube, all this stuff. That's amazing. The problem is that it's not actually free and there is no communication about that. Sure, we understand that these things get paid for with ads, but we don't really know what that means. We don't really respect that. And we shouldn't respect that because that's why everybody wants to use ad blockers and take the ads away and say, oh, it's annoying. Oh, they got another ad. Oh, here's this person got 10 ads in their videos. <laughs> you know they're money hungry. <laughs> but the problem, we don't respect that because it doesn't, they don't respect us. 
if somebody came to your to your house and was like, "I'm gonna bust in here and take all your your valuables," and you'd be like, "Okay, sure," <laughs> you know, clearly there's no respect going on there. Um, I could think of a better metaphor, but anyways, <laughs> um, so the problem is that. Regulation isn't going to solve this. Regulation is gonna, isn't going to suddenly make these companies respect the users or make the users respect the companies in that way. And so what I think is, in a, is a better alternative, it, it, for one, if we have to do regulation, ideally we do not, but if we do have to do regulation, um, one of the ideal uh, solutions, I think, would be to do similar to the, uh, how they do in Europe. I just was poking fun at Europe with the GDPR or whatever. But for their telecom, their telecom um, regulations is actually pretty cool in which um, I think, no, I don't think it's telecom. I think it's pretty, pretty much any utility service, not just telecom, like water, um, electricity, all these different types of services. All the services that we have m stupid monopolies on in which the companies do not don't innovate anymore. <laughs> you know, they have better regulations because their regulation states that you have to um, allow competition. It literally states like you have, it basically forces these big companies to be more competitive. Not in terms of, you know, killing their competition, but rather to allow competition to exist. Meaning whenever a new person wants to create, you know, their own service, you know they have they are allowed to use the current um the current the organization's you know pipelines so if you're creating a water line a new water line or whatever you don't have to build your own water line you can use theirs you can use whoever is this, the, the 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 pundit whoever is the 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 um what, what's the term I'm looking for whoever is the the person that's all, the the company that's already big and in, in, in the uh and the you know what I mean, <laughs> but yeah, you have to. They have to do that, and so the same thing for like the internet. Like if, if say for instance, AT and T, you know, was in was like started in Europe. If some new service like Ping or something um, wanted to uh, create their own service, like I'm gonna call mine's just for simpler, you know, examples. I'm gonna call mine's new internet. <laughs> so for new internet with the NU, <laughs> that, new, that new age, with the new internet, all I got to do is say, hey, I'm going to use your um, services. I'm not sure the specifics. They probably got to pay a certain amount or whatever, whatever. But at least they can use their, their, the AT&T's service. I can use AT&T's you know, pipelines and be like, okay, and now I'm going to sell my own service based on your pipelines. Right? And so that encourages... Um, more competition, so these more so uh, uh, entrepreneurs, more startups, more companies can exist, can come up and say, "Hey, I don't like how you, what you're doing, ATT. I'm gonna come up with a better uh, version of this." And so that encourages everybody to be more competitive in the marketplace, right? And so we need that in the U.S. desperately because that's not how it is right now. Like Google Fiber, one of the main reasons they had to stop their rollout is because they couldn't offer you know, that 100 gigabit speed to everybody, you know, at the, <laughs> at the drop of a hat when they were first rolling everything out. They're in specific cities because they have to um, roll out their entire Google Fiber to everybody in that city or everybody in that area, you know, practically at the same time. And they have to offer the same 100 gigabit service to everyone. So it takes a incredibly long line to do that. 
And while they're not doing that, if they're offering that service to some people, you know, in that area, but not others, then AT&T can come up there and be like, oh, this is illegal. <laughs> You're supposed to do this, that, and the other. Oh, you don't have the permits to dig in here. You can't use my pipelines either, so uh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and so Google was stopped, you know. Now, it's, in the long run, we probably be like, okay, yeah, it's good that Google doesn't can't control that data pipeline. But still, the point is that... Even Google failed to create a new internet service with 100 gigabit speed. They actually wanted to have faster internet for everybody instead of AT&T and, and, and Comcast's crappy internet. You know, they actually wanted to offer that faster internet to everybody, but they couldn't. Google, one of the biggest companies in the world, could not make a new internet service in the U.S. because of these regulations. And so imagine... You know, your everyday Joe Smoke be like, I want to make a new internet service where everybody has faster speed and blah, 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 blah. You will never be able to do it. Not because it's not physically possible, but because of dumb regulations that support the current monopolies. Now imagine that, that problem exponentiated in the software world where Google and Facebook, who's all big now, are going to be big forever. <laughs> imagine that. Like... <clears throat> the the craziest thing about software world is that it's incredibly competitive because anybody in their in their garage can be like oh I have this new social media idea you know <laughs> just like Facebook they overturned MySpace in a matter of like months if not well technically years but you know for the average person it might have been like a few months they was like oh there's MySpace everybody's using MySpace and then it's like oh it's Facebook it looks a lot better there's less crap you know blah 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 blah. <laughs> um, and the software world, it, it's very fast like that, you know um, You have an idea, you figure out how to make it happen You get people to use it And boom, you know, you can be Quote-unquote overnight success, you know But imagine if there's regulations that state something crazy like You know, oh, in order to make a new social media thing You know, uh, let's say Let's say you have to have, uh, you have to have, you have to have separate silos for everybody's data. <laughs> Meaning that um, if, if, if you have a billion people in your, in your platform, everybody has to have their own silo, their own data, you know, uh, storage facility where nobody else has access to that data. Um, and it's just on, on their own hard drive. Everybody has their own hard drive for their own data. Right. That sounds amazing. Right. Um, data privacy. Nobody has access to it unless I say so. And the company is paying for um, my storage device. I mean, granted, they're probably not going to pay for it. They're going to make me pay for it. Um, or if it's not pay for it, the government will subsidize, you know, the company so that they can have a hard drive for everybody. That may that may mean more taxes. So uh, maybe I'm not actually paying for it. <laughs> But that's probably, you know, uh, uh, an idea that they will come up with. Everybody has their own data on their own hard drive. Probably even specify that. Their own hard drive. Not cloud data storage. Hard drive. <laughs> and you know what that means. That means the next person who wants to make the next social media, like me with Flubby, that means I'm going to have to somehow get a hard drive for every single user I get. So now if I want to have my own platform with uh, people who are using my, my platform and I can, um, even if I have super transparent data privacy uh, laws, like I want super transparent data, pro data you know, um, 
policies. I'm going to tell everybody what data we're using and how that data is being used. I'll let them see that data very easily in a very beautiful interface where they can manipulate that data and, and control where it's going and, and offer all that stuff. It doesn't even matter because I'm going to have to somehow buy a physical hard drive to fit everybody's data on their own hard drive. Imagine how much that would cost. Imagine how hard that would be to scale. <laughs> so this is just an example. I have no idea if they're going to come up with something like this. But the, the problem is that it can very well happen. And, and it most likely will happen if these government you know, agents are going to stay ignorant. So ideally, what I would want is indeed to help people help the if we do have regulations is to have something that's inherently competitive, that's simple, that is scalable, you know, and that that is um, that is open to new competition so that new people can come in and also quickly scale up, you know, their solutions, because the more competition you have in a market, the more it can self-correct for these crazy problems that we see seeing now. The biggest problem why uh, a new, you know, uh, a new empathetic social media or, or, or search engine thing hasn't come up is because it's too easy for them, for the current, you know, pundits to kind of use government, old government regulations to support, you know, their own monopolies. It's very easy for them to do that. Like DuckDuckGo is... Um, Basically, Google is another search engine, but they don't take any of your data. It's inherently super private um, search engine, right? Um, but the problem is that people, it's, it's on multiple levels. Like Google has its own, it's, it's the default search engine for a lot of people, and most people don't go away from the defaults. So, you know, you talk about government regulations. What about having a government regulation where you don't have a default search engine? I'm not sure. I mean, you have to really look into that to see if that's a good, you know, regulation or not. But just a default, you know, setting is very powerful. Like I think Apple, um, they one of the best things they did is that they had a good, uh, uh, they made their default, you know, settings to be uh, like Apple Maps or something like that. And people wanted Google Maps because <laughs> Apple Maps is terrible. You know, there's another number of you know stuff like this where the default settings were never changed. Like, uh, and um, a lot of Microsoft stuff, their default settings was, of course, Edge or Internet Explorer or whatever. People was like, <laughs> people were, that's why their numbers were bloated. It was like, oh, yeah, X percent of people are using Internet Explorer. You're like, who, are using, who was using that? And, and that's the people who bought the thing but never changed the default because most people don't change the default. So, yeah, maybe think about that. But anyways, so, yeah, what I want to conclude here is that. We really have to think about what we're doing, what we're talking about when we're saying regulations, and ideally we would have a solution that is not even that is not even supported, like like is not even focused or, or founded on government. That maybe you can have like a nonprofit, a number of nonprofits made, uh, or support a number of new businesses that want to um, shake up the industry, that have different ideas for how we can come up. You know, so how we can make better social media, um, how we can make better search engines, how, how we can make better platforms that are more respectful of people's data, people's time and attention. Right. One of the the biggest ideas I think we should definitely support in, in, in this format is to have a, a sort of a data 
data education, a data awareness type of program, or, or rather a like a nonprofit. Um, I don't know exactly the form it could be because I'm it's something that basically I want to do for Flubby. I'm not sure how it would um, apply to other organizations. Well, I'm not sure how it can be a easily shareable idea. But basically, the idea is that you can have a um a kind of like data data showroom that shows how all your data is being used on the internet, um, or at least on one on one platform, and shows you know. What that data goes to, who 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 uses that data, um, how much they buy it for, stuff like that. So you kind of have like a, a a portfolio, like an investment portfolio, but for your data. So you can actually see the value of it and and how it's being used and all this stuff. And once you see that, then you can um, perhaps get or most likely get a change. You know, get some get some money from that. <laughs> you get a percentage. Um, of of that data every time it's sold or every time it's used for this that or or the other, you know that's one idea I had. Another I think would be super important is to make sure that the incentives are aligned. Like that's one of the biggest problems with social media right now is that their their incentives like a Facebook their incentive is to make money right, and their their to make money for them doesn't mean making the better product for the user it sort of means that indirectly because you know better product means more people will stay on it but really their direct product is the user's data is to get that data and sell it to advertisers they sell it to people who want to you know use that data like for political means or for this that and the other that's why they can sell that data to russia or to this that or some china or whatever because you know that's how they make their money <laughs> and they're uh they have shareholders and all this other stuff. They want to see you that quarter uh, earnings and stuff like that. So that's why you have to make sure that, that those incentives are aligned with the actual customer, with the actual consumer experience. And that means not de- depending on what I call the ad tyranny. You can't feed the tyrant advertisement. Of, of of big data and stuff like that and and pretend like you're going to be you know uh, the customer's hero or whatever because you're inherently using and consuming that customer mining them for data rather than actually trying to make their experience better trying to make their lives better so instead a lot of these companies can probably um be more Respectful, be more, you know, empathetic, be more just, just freaking good. <laughs> um, if they actually align those incentives. So instead of making money based on their data, they make money maybe based on uh, how many users create something or how many. It's hard to see this outside of the flubby mindset because that's, that's what, what I've been thinking about it from. But, um, like for Facebook, you know, maybe you get a certain amount of money every time you connect with a certain amount of friends or, um, I don't know, it's, it's something for them to think about. <laughs> so that's not my business. I don't really care about supporting them. I want to just disrupt the whole thing. But that's the idea right there, man. You got to align your incentives for profit for this, that, and the other with the actual consumers with the actual users of your product, not not 
manipulate them and, and, and base your whole profit margins on how well you can <laughs> manipulate and, and, you know, just mine your, your users. That's just unethical. So, yeah. <sighs> it was fun again. And, um, always more to talk about. But I hope, hope you, you know, got some stuff from this. So, yeah, bye-bye.